So we are in our third week now on this series, When Love Hurts, Christian Perspectives on Domestic Violence. And each week I start with the same set of statements, and and I want to say those same five things here today as we begin. First, this is a sensitive and painful topic. And for a lot of you, it's also personal. Uh, You can experience, number two, you can experience domestic violence as a victim, as a perpetrator, as an observer, or as a member of a community. And our hope is that God brings healing into all of these areas. Third, there are many types of abuse. But for this series, we're focusing primarily in on physical and sexual violence. Uh, Fourth, physical abuse covers a wide scope of behaviors. It's not just hitting. It's slapping, shoving, grabbing, biting, throwing things, even threatening with a knife. And lastly, I want to give you permission to take care of yourself. If you need a break, take a break. If you need prayer, we'll be down front. We would love to pray with you. I want to give you permission to take care of yourself. Now on to this week's topic. Abuse is always about power. It's not about relationships, gender, or theology. Abuse is always about power. Rape is not a crime of passion or sex. It's a crime of power and control. That fight that turned violent, that wasn't about whatever started the fight. It was about exerting power over another person. And then things like insulting, intimidating, or threatening, these aren't about personality. It's about power. See, abuse is always about power. And abusive people maintain power over their victims through coercive or controlling behavior. And now this can go on for years, often ignored or explained away, and may even be encouraged by someone's friends, by their culture, and even sometimes by their church community. And on the back of your bulletin, we've included something called the power and control wheel. It's a visual, it's an illustration of tactics that abusers use to exert power and control over their victims. And we hope that you find it helpful. And maybe it can help you identify things that you've experienced in your life. Or maybe even things that you've done in your family. So the first thing I want you to remember about today is that abuse is always about power. Now when we look into the Bible to shed light on this, we run into a little bit of a problem. You see, the Bible doesn't really talk about abuse. But, the Bible does talk a lot about something called oppression. 
Now, in Scripture, oppression is the crushing or burdening of someone by abusing power or authority. That's what oppression is. In a sense, oppression is my power at your expense. That sounds a whole lot like modern-day abuse. My power at your expense. Now, the Bible consistently talks about protecting the dignity and humanity of any and all victims of oppression. And the Bible talks about groups like the poor, the weak, widows, orphans, foreigners, and servants. And it regularly preaches against oppressors' motives like greed, status, or a lust for power. Not only that, but the, the Bible also talks volumes about how, how God feels about oppression. It arouses his anger. It grieves him. It breaks his heart. And he says continuously over and over, he will, he will punish oppressors in this life or the next. And when you look at all these hundreds of verses throughout the whole Bible, there's a consistent pattern that emerges about how God's people should use power. Those in power empower the less powered. Let me say that again. Those in power empower the less powered. That is the consistent message throughout Scripture. Those in power use their power to empower the ones with less power. Every time, without exception. Now, there's an incredible example of this in this tiny little book called Third John. It's the third of a series of letters that the Apostle John wrote, and that's what we heard earlier in the scripture reading. It's a tiny, it's actually the shortest book in the Bible. It's just 13 verses, around 200 words. And this is neat because it's a really, as you heard, it's a really personal letter. He's actually writing to a dear friend. He calls this friend beloved. That's how close they are. His name was Gaius. And then he mentions other people that he knows. And we're going to talk about some of those people. And, and this is really personal. And, and it, what makes this letter unique is that most of the letters in the New Testament are to churches. Dear River Life Church. No, this one is Dear Greg. And if you're old enough to, to have actually ever written and corresponded with something somebody with actual letters, not even emails, let alone texts. There's something really special about a letter. And even now, if you, if you happen to ever get one, there's, it just sort of lights up something inside you. And so there's something really special about this letter to a dear friend. So here's what, here's what John wrote about excuse me, um, a, a problematic person in Scripture. And so, yes, he was connecting with a, an old friend, but also to talk about this person that was causing some problems. His name was Diotrephes. 
And we don't quite know what he was, whether he was the pastor of the church, or maybe a really powerful, influential elder, or maybe just an influential person in the church, kind of a pillar of the community. We don't really know. But we do know he had power. And so here's what he wrote about the way that Diotrephes abused his power. I wrote to the church, but, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So John highlights four sinful behaviors that Diotrephes was doing that are clear abuses of his power. First, he loved to be first. This is at the heart of every person who abuses power, whether in a church, a job, or a marriage. They love to be first. They love to be the one in control, the one that makes the decisions. See, this is the essence of control. And remember, abuse is always about control. Second, diatrophies gossiped maliciously. The literal translation of that line, I love it, is bringing false charges against us with evil words. False charges against us with evil words. See, one way to amass power for yourself is to take it from other people. And you do so by tearing them down. See, this is the essence of emotional or psychological abuse. It can include things like spreading false rumors, gaslighting them, or lying to others about them. The same things Diotrephes was doing. Third, he refused Christian hospitality. See, this was so bad that John mentioned it twice in just a handful of verses. Diotrephes rejected other believers. Even John himself, the Apostle John, he rejected him. See, he controlled the environment. He denied anyone who might disrupt the narrative that he was creating. That's a common tactic of controlling or abusive people. Control the narrative. Shut out people who will, who will go against it. See, abusers do the same thing. They exert their power, they exert their control by isolating victims and preventing them from having contact with other people who might challenge the narrative that they're creating. Fourth, he kicked opponents out of the church. Literally. He literally excommunicated people who disagreed with him. That, that is the ultimate emotional manipulation that gets escalated to coercion and control. That is the ultimate act of control to define who's in and who's out. And this is exactly what abusers do that they surround themselves with people 
who will support them and rejects anybody who could question them. So looking at this list here, this list, it is the exact opposite of the biblical model that those in power should empower the less power. It's the exact opposite. So instead, he used his power to disempower, to diminish and undermine others. And that's the core of abuse. Now, thankfully, Diotrephes isn't the only one mentioned in this letter. You see, John also tells about his good friend Gaius, who's the recipient of this letter. And so here's what he writes about Gaius, again, calling him beloved. Beloved, it is, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey, uh, send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that, they, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. So what can we learn from Gaius about using power to empower the less powered? Well, first he loved others, even strangers. See, he used his power to love others, offering hospitality, support, very likely financial support as well. See, this text even suggests that he extends his love not just to Christians, but to non-Christians alike. Second, he showed generous hospitality. He welcomed them into his home, built bridges and relationships, and shared life together. And then third, he displayed faithfulness. He did all of this with faithfulness. He was praised by John and others because his actions came out of a trust and loyalty to God. Not out of fear, control, or selfishness. Gaius truly did use his power to empower the less powered. So John contrasts these two people. One who uses his power for the benefit of others, and another who uses his power for the benefit of himself. And then he wraps up with one of my favorite lines out of this. It is the ultimate mic drop against the power hoarders. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. When you abuse power in a church, in a job, in a family... You are doing what is evil. And you haven't even seen God. Abuse is always sin. It is always evil. So let me ask you. How do you use your power? How do you use your power? You see, every one of us has relationships where we have more power than the other person. Maybe it's because of your race, 
your age, your gender, your education, your wealth, even your attractiveness. Every one of you has at least one relationship where you have more power than the other person. Even if you feel like you're the butt of every joke, the bottom of every pile, the one that gets kicked on all the time, I promise you, there is some relationship in your life where you have more power than them. What do you do with that? It could be in your job. It could be in your family or clan. It could be with your friend group. It could be here at church. So how do you use your power? Is it my power at your expense? Or is it your empowered at my expense? Do you hoard power or give it away? Do you want things your way? Or do you consider others more important than yourself? See, every one of us has the potential to abuse power and be abused by power. So my recommendation, pay attention to your power differentials. Pay attention to those relationships where there is a big difference in power. Here are just some of them. Here are just some of the relationships that have high power differentials. Culturally traditional men over women. Strong-willed women over passive men. Husbands over wives. Parents over children. Older siblings over younger siblings. Whites over people of color, at least in America. More educated over less educated. White-collar over blue-collar workers. I mean, I could go on and on. Any of these relationships is ripe for abuse in small or big ways. And there's only one solution. There's only one solution to this. Die to yourself. You die to yourself. You be like Jesus. You you take up your cross. You lay down your power. And you carry that cross. You sacrifice yourself so someone else can thrive. You humble yourself so someone else can be lifted up. You use your power, your influence, so someone with less power and less influence can be empowered. Be like Jesus. Lay down your power and take up your cross. And please, please, don't ever let somebody else Sacrifice you for their power. Don't let someone else sacrifice you for their power. That's not Christianity. That's not love. 
That is abuse. Pray with me. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our big brother, you laid down your power to die for us. And we can't do that. We're too scared. We're too selfish. We're too self-protective. Thank you that Jesus, that you laid down your power to empower us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that now you empower each person in this room, each person watching me online, with a power that is not their own. And whether that is the power to stand up to abuse or the power to admit and confess abuse. God, help us. Help us be a community that confesses and help us be a community that protects those who are oppressed. That loves those who are hurting. And that lays down all of our power for other people. Help us be that community, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. The one who laid down all of his power so that we could have power. In his name, amen.